Welcome to Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. This is a true crime podcast. That's right, a true crime podcast. For those in the back, I'll say it a little bit louder. This is a true crime podcast. This show is a show for grown folks. That little E over there next to my podcast, that means that we use some foul language every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Enough to flag it, you know. So, we talk about really generally vile, disgusting, and horrific things. Dismemberment, disembowelment, death in general. Lots of really horrible, terrible things. But we also, like I said, we cover the three key things that everybody in life enjoys. Coffee, true crime, and of course, dumpster fires. So, settle in. Come get warm by the dumpster fire. Make sure don't touch it, though. Don't want you to get burned. Don't want to get sued. Just saying. But, again, all kidding aside, you have been warned. Turn back now if you don't like that kind of thing. And by the way, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. If you don't get that reference, you need to go ahead and turn back now. Otherwise, settle in and enjoy this week's episode of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 7 of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. Of course, those are the three things that everybody loves, right? So, uh, this is, of course, episode 7. And, before we get started, I have a little housekeeping issue. Can we please stop with the 80s? Pit vipers, mullets. Seriously, folks? I mean, I saw a guy with pit viper, I mean... Really? (sighs) Pit Viper sunglasses. They were stupid looking in the 80s. They're still stupid looking today. (sighs) Okay. I think I'm okay now. Uh, Well, and while we're at it, let's let's not relive. We'll get ahead of this, right? So let's not relive... Feathered bangs, tall bangs, aquanet, parachute pants, Bermuda shorts. Can we not relive any of that anymore, please? You know, I was, I I grew up in the 80s. It was fun. But it was like riding a moped, right? It's fun while you're doing it. But once you're done, you don't want to do it again. That's that's what this is. Okay? There's your PSA. Thank you. Carry on. All right. So, the coffee of the the coffee of the week this week is from a local to me uh roaster um narrative narrative coffee. Um I, I got their uh, Colombian light roast, and wow, that is like seven out of five. Yes, you heard that correctly. That is a seven out of five uh, beans for that. Because 
uh, one, it was truly amazing coffee. Oh, it had a little bit of an orange flavor to it, uh, you know, kind of an orange tinge to it, and a um, kind of a chocolate sort of vibe to it. It was actually really good. Uh, but the other thing was that when I ordered it, it asked for shipping, and I thought originally I thought about actually going to the they have a shop and everything where you can you know kind of like a, a Starbucks kind of a situation but eh. but I, I originally had thought about just going when I saw that but then I realized one uh, they had free shipping for my address so I was like well cool right amazing <clears throat> um they had a little in the order form. They had a text thing. It said, uh, "We'll send you a text when we deliver your coffee." So I left my number. I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, whatever." And I figured, you know, I figured since it's local and everything, and you know, roasted right here, I figured, okay, a week. I'll get it in a week, maybe ten days, ish. Uh, three days after I ordered it. I got a phone call from a guy from Narrative Roasting or from the Narrative Coffee Company saying, "Hey, I'm here to deliver your coffee cuz I live in a gated community." That's right. I'm spoiled, I know. Uh, you know, I live in a gated community. <gasps> oh no. Um the reality is is that my wife and I work very very hard to be able to do that. So there's a trade-off. Just saying. But any, at any rate, that's neither here nor there. He called and said, hey, I, I'm pulling up to the gate, you know. Um, and, and so I had to f get him in through the gate. But um, didn't know that, you know, they, they actually delivered it themselves. It wasn't a – because they're local. Uh, it wasn't like a, a you know, the – the impersonal idea of shipping, you know, and it was free to do that. So that was pretty cool. So they get they get the two bonus beans for that. <clears throat> All right. So uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch. So this week we're going to talk about prison escapes. Actually, we're going to talk about one particular guy from Florida, shocker, uh, who escapes from prison. A lot. <clears throat> His name is Mark DeFriest. So I'm going to start at the beginning with this guy. Uh, he's born in August of 1960. His father was uh, an operative with the OSS, which is which was the predecessor, the American predecessor to um, the CIA. And so... He, his dad taught him a lot of, gave him a lot of um, sort of survival skills to, to operate in the world. And it became apparent with Mark at a very, very early age that he had a really, uh, an eye for mechanical engineering and that sort of thing. And, and had a very... What's the word? Um, 
sort of clinical brain. There was no, he didn't have like the uh, emotion part of things. He just had, you know, black and white. And uh, by the age, you know, but, but it was very technical. And so around the age of six or so, he f- we were finding or people were finding that he was disassembling but more importantly he was correctly reassembling anything mechanical that he could lay his hands on you know watches uh you know you name it he would crack it open take it all the way apart take it down to its most base level and then reassemble it and that included small engines and stuff too Clocks, watches, all of it. He just would would tear through that stuff and was amazing at fixing and the analytic part of it and going, well, this is what's wrong. Here, I'll fix it. Uh, This plays, obviously, an escape. Obviously, that plays a really important factor, right? I mean, you're... Behind in prison, you're locked in behind a series of mechanical devices. Um, you know, there's a saying in in when you work in corrections, there's a saying out there about you know even the best systems are are flawed. Even the most secure systems out there are flawed in one way or another and and the best way to summarize that would be if a man made it a man can beat it so you know again so but he was mark is i I say was for him growing up but he's still alive spoiler alert he's still alive um but he was Kind of a, he's always been uh, kind of a rain man type of guy, you know. Um, 246 toothpicks, 246. You, I'm mocking, but that's, you know, that's a very famous scene from the movie Rain Man, if you have ever seen the movie. Um, anyway, uh, it, it, he really could, he, he was definitely not a people person. But as he started to get older, it, it kind of seemed that he could fix anything you put in front of him mechanics-wise, mecha- you know, device-wise, mechanical things. He would, if you could put it in front of him and say it's broken, he would fix it, most likely. And if he couldn't fix it, then it wasn't fixable. And I'm not talking about, by the way, and I'm not talking about the... Good old-fashioned U.S. Army repair of duct tape and bailing wire. I'm talking about a legitimate repair. Um, so, uh, in 1979, so Mark was right around 19, uh, his father died suddenly. And, and it doesn't, I, I didn't really get a lot of information about how specifically he died. Uh, just that he died suddenly in 1979. And and so this this death was tragic and very hard on Mark and set forth and set in motion, I should say. It set in motion a series of of tragic events in a way 
that have led from that have gone from him catching a four-year prison term and turned it into a was it 40 year now odyssey uh again spoiler alert he is still in prison uh um so so we'll get to that so uh and this all started literally i know meanwhile back at the ranch right i'm i'm all over the map as usual that's why i'm special and you guys love this train wreck of a podcast anyway um he the the his whole prison odyssey really started over a misunderstanding sort of so when his when his dad died he left he left for mark a set of tools the tool you know the the kind of the tools that he used to with his dad him and his dad were very very tight and so these are the tools that him and his dad used in the garage to fix engines and do all and fix all the stuff that Mark was fixing right and so he obviously took it really hard well he the, the dad had willed Mark some of these tools like specifically put them in the will well Mark went and this is a common thing when you have a father you know when you have a patriarch and or someone of the family that, you know when someone passes especially suddenly uh commonly people will go the family will go and and it's kind of sad too at the same time it's kind of sad because you know the family kind of turns they turn into vultures and they go to they go and they they pick through the the stuff of the deceased and they want this i want this and they they argue over that kind of stuff i've seen it and i've seen it in my own family i they just do um it, it's it's human nature really but anyway so he did what anybody else would and, and he went into his father's garage and took the tools that he knew had been willed to him but it was technically theft because the will hadn't cleared the probate courts yet and his stepmother whom he did not get along with uh she called the police. And when the cops show up, again, this is not someone who's totally in his right mind. He's some he doesn't understand nuance and things like that. He's it's been said in later you know, in later interviews and later evaluations and things that he is probably somewhere on the autism scale. Uh He's kind of a savant, you know, again, like Rain Man. And so when the cops show up, he kind of panics, you know, and runs. He panics and he runs. He has a gun with him when he panics and he runs. So they catch him. He never fired a shot. 
the, you'll find a, a common theme here throughout this whole story that he was, he is the least violent person you'll find. There's no crimes of violence except for one tech that's technically, I'm making air quotes. That's right, you and the Pit Vipers. Thanks for showing up. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring them back in here again, I'll smash them. Sorry. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, so he didn't really have any violence in his, in his history. There's one technically violent part of that, and uh, not really, but it is what it is. Um, but he, like I said, he never flash. he flashed, I don't, I don't even think he actually flashed the gun at, at the cops, I think they found it on him, which technically made it an armed robbery. So, that's a four-year prison sentence. Uh, there was questions as to his mental status, things like that, there was lots, in fact, it's really weird, so five out of six psychiatrists that evaluated him, five out of six, keep that in mind, five out of six psychiatrists that all independently evaluated Mark said that he wasn't competent to stand trial for this charge. But one key doctor, Dr. Robert Burland, which we'll get to that in a minute too, Remember that name, Robert Berlin. Keep that in the back of your head. Dr. Berlin believed that he was feigning mental illness. Ultimately, he changed his mind decades later, too little, too late. So during some of this time, or, or, and then ultimately he's sentenced to four years in prison. So let's get to his first escape attempt. He was housed at, for a time, he was housed at the Florida State Hospital. You know, the funny farm, whatever, if you will. The Looney Bin, the Wacko Shack, the Wacko Shack, whatever you want to call it, right? The, the Looney Basket, there's a ton of derogatory, not even derogatory, I hate that. There's a ton of slang terms, right? The funny farm, whatever you want to call it. That's where he was locked up for a while, initially. Until he decided that he was going to somehow acquire some LSD from the hospital pharmacy. Can you believe they had LSD? And I think I think that you don't quote me on this, but I think you can actually find LSD in a hospital pharmacy now for whatever very limited. Anyway, I don't know. But at that time, it was something that was relatively common. They had it in the hospital pharmacy. So he got his grubby paws on some, uh, on some LSD, and he spiked the coffee. So the staff was tripping balls and freaking out. That's actually... Um, they had they had a freakout, as they called it. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't get out before the staff really started to freak out, and security came in and locked the place down. Blah blah. blah. 
All right. So after that, there were 12 more attempts. Seven of, a grand total of seven of those were successful. Now, I searched far and wide to find a little more detail about these escapes, the successful escapes, right? Air quotes, successful. Um, but I can't find anything. It's just, there's a movie, I believe it's called Inside the Mind of Mark DeFriest. It's a documentary about his whole journey so far. It was made in 2009, or no, 2016. Uh, I didn't get to watch it because I can't, it's not, it was supposed to be available on Amazon, on Amazon Prime, uh, yeah, on whatever Amazon TV or whatever it is, uh, but it is not available right now, and, and I couldn't find it anywhere to purchase it or rent it or whatever uh, to watch it, unfortunately. I, I'm thinking that they probably have a little more detail on these escapes, but I can't find any more detail other than I, I do know that that these are the, there's some some agreed upon facts in this. There were a total of thirteen attempts, a total of seven which were successful. So the guy is, I mean, this guy was the stuff of legends. When when I was in when I was in training to be a correctional officer, they talked about, and they never named him. But they always talked about there were inmates out there. This was the this was the story, you know. Like I said, this this guy was was the stuff of legends because he would the instructors during during the academy would talk about how there are inmates out there that can look at your keys on your belt that hang off of your belt. Um. If you leave them exposed, there are inmates out there that if they get enough time to look at them, they don't have to touch them. Just look at them. They can take that and fashion a functioning key. They, they can create a duplicate, a functioning duplicate key with whatever material is readily available. You know, and so it's, it's kinda, it was kind of folklore. And, you, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, you, you think, oh, well, that's that's just folklore. They're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to kind of really sear that into our brains so we don't do anything stupid. Uh, until I started to research this and went, whoa, wait a minute. They're talking about this guy. Holy crap. Right. Um, <laughs> so. Again, and the the guy would was very 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 resourceful. He would make the typical, you know, he made the he was in trouble, of course, on occasion for the <coughs> excuse me <coughs> for the typical homemade wine, you know, the the toilet wine and stuff. Yes, they really do do that. 
and that's really disgusting. And all they need, by the way, uh, is an orange, a piece of bread, and a sock. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry, and some sugar. You know, you ever wonder why, I don't know if you've ever, if, if for some reason you've ever had the need to visit an inmate or any of those things, there there are certain rules. They they literally limit the amount of like sugar packets and physical sugar that inmates can have. It is literally in the kitchen a controlled security item. Why? Because it's a key ingredient for them to make what's called buck. Again, sugar, bread, an orange, and a sock. That's it. Oh, and a toilet. So do the math on that. Do you really want that? Uh, I think I'll pass. Um, anyway, but he he made he was very 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 resourceful. He would do that. That was one of his things. You know, he would he would make prison wine. He would he could make a zip gun. <coughs> All he needed, yes, it's a gun. Gun is the key word in that. Uh, it doesn't fire quite like a. It fires a, a projectile, maybe not quite with the uh, velocity of an actual like pistol or whatever, but it it's still it'll kill you. It'll kill you dead just the same. He made a zip gun out of a toothpaste tube. He made a homemade hacksaw. Again, the guy is resourceful. He escaped from secure facilities. Super secure. We're talking like three fences, three eight foot fences, or no, I'm sorry, three twelve foot fences, probably. I don't know. Uh, topped with razor wire, a uh, a a good fifteen foot gap between each of the th- three layers of fence. Again, all razor and concertina wire, all laid down inside of there. Between the fences, uh, they're far enough apart that you're not going to go from leapfrog from one top to another. Uh, you're going to get cut up getting up over the top of the fence, and then you're going to get shredded in all of the concertina wire between the fences. And they, that concertina wire is no joke. Um, I'll just tell you that. I know from experience. Um so when he escape that's so when he escapes this is how we end up again uh, this is me talking just the, think about the way that I talk and the way that I just sort of ramble on and go on these divergent paths and all this like I am right now uh, and he's done that and turned his 4 years into again 40 plus years well how does he do that well, because every time he escapes, you rack up new charges. And and at times, <clears throat> depending on the way the judge decides to sentence you when you're convicted of escaping, they tack an extra five years onto the end of your sentence. It's a, a consecutive sentence, not a concurrent sentence. It depends, though. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on... The one thing it depends on, I guess, is that... Is your... Um, 
the the length of your current sentence because they can't be cruel and unusual, right? Uh, but he only started out with four years, so of course it's easy to tack on another five, and we'll make it an even nine. People serve nine years, stand on their head, right? So uh, they they tack those kind of things on. Um, he during one of his escape attempts, uh, he pulled a gun. Uh, uh, on a motorist and stole their car. So there's two more charges. Again, it, it, you know, you, you involve a gun, so that's an enhancement, uh, especially during the 80s and 90s when you had the the tough-on-crime stuff, the, the whatever, crime bills and all that stuff. Thank you, Kamala Harris. Oh, did I say that out loud? Anyway, um, but... So you end up adding all of these, you know, just tacking on more and more and more. And then you end up with, you know, seven escapes ends up with 40 years worth of prison time. Well, a, a lot of prison time. Um, you know, they keep tacking them on and that kind of thing. And eventually he ended up with a – so if you go – sorry, I bumped my mic. If you go on to pretty much any Department of Corrections website and you look up a particular inmate, you'll see – it'll give you a, a – this is the public side. There's a lot more information on, on the inside of, of that. But the public side, you can see it'll show you <clears> – <throat> uh, it'll show you the their a current photo and it'll say you know things like this, this uh, information is current as of whatever date. Because they they don't update, you know, they're not just constantly on an update cycle. Because you look at like the Florida Department of Corrections, for example, they have almost a hundred thousand inmates, uh, so they're on a constant update cycle. But it just it takes a little while to get through a hundred thousand people to update all their information. So, you know, so to say it's current as of whatever date, and you'll see their name, their current photo. Because they have to take a new photo every five or six years or whatever it is. Uh, they have a current photo, their date of birth, uh, what their you know like their their race, whatever, uh, their current facility, and their uh, projected release date. Now, their projected release date includes things like gain time and things like that. You know, good behavior. You know, if you behave. For every three days that you actually behave and don't act like a shithead, we'll knock another day off your sentence. So, I mean, I think they can they can accrue like eight days a month uh, uh, that knocks off of their sentence is how that works. I think something like that. I'm not – I don't work in that field any longer. I've been out for a little while, but that's what I recall. I think it's like eight days a month. Um so, again, all those charges, you know, you get things like prohibited possessor of a firearm because, again, he stole a, a car with a gun and he's already a felon, so he can't have a gun and it's armed robbery and all. Anyway, so ultimately, though, that, that release date, after they took away all of his gain time, right, that's one of the things that they do right away when you escape. You lose all of that good behavior time. They tack it all right back in and they they tack on you know 
whatever charges, etc. Now, when you escape in the state of Florida, if you escape from a Florida correctional facility, odds are very, very high. You'll you'll go to one of three uh, prisons in various locations around the state. But odds are pretty good that you will be going to Florida State Prison, home of Florida death, Florida's death row, and also home of what's known as the Maximum Management Unit. The Maximum Management Unit only houses the, the absolute worst of the worst, and there's not very many, there's not a lot of room. You know, it's kind of a top ten, you know, kind of a thing. But they they uh you know they they the absolute worst of the worst go to maximum management. Um those cells are the sort of the epitome of the whole in every you know it's it's the movie trope, right? And they will – that max management unit is right – is right there with uh, the death house where they do executions. That's most likely where you're going to go for the first little bit when you get – when you get returned to – you know, you get caught in the – you got to go to the county jail briefly, and then once they bring you back into the prisons, that's where you're going. Um, if you left anything behind, they packed it up and already sent it to Florida State Prison ahead of you because you're coming back um, one way or another. Uh, so it's interesting because, like I said, he he ultimately built up so many charges and so many – violations and lost so much you know he had no gain time so he was looking at a release date he was basically looking at life in prison because he was born in 1960 he was looking at a release date of 2085 so he'd have to live to be over 125 years old before he saw daylight you know before he legitimately anyway saw daylight um ultimately though after you know they they pe- people started to advocate for him and they did his uh you know he started to do his documentary all these different things and there were there were certain people including uh including remember Dr. Berland yeah even him they started to advocate, hey, maybe we need to get this guy some treatment and some real mental health services because he's got issues. And maybe we need to think about reducing his sentence and things and maybe let him out into society because he all he did was legitimately, 
he's doing this because he stole some tools. So in November of 20... Or... So in November of 2014, they get his... They get his sentence reduced all the way down to make him eligible for parole in 2019. So, but before that, though, he was housed. Things got weird for this poor guy. Things got really weird for this poor guy. So he was housed... In uh, he was housed a few cells down on the same cell block as an inmate, as a as a death row inmate named uh, Frank Valdez. See now, death row inmates can go to the max management unit as well for being shitheads, right? They they can put them inside the max management unit just the same as they can any other person. So he's he's kind of neighbors, whatever. To uh, Frank Val, an inmate named Frank Valdez, who he was in prison and and on death row for the murder of a correctional officer named Fred Griffiths. He shot him. He shot Fred Griffiths three times in the head during an attempt to break out a former cellmate. Um, I'm gonna. I, I need to do that. That's a. That's a pretty good. A pretty interesting sort of story when they're trying, these guys are trying to help. There's others involved in that, try, and they also ended up on death row, uh, trying to help their former cellmate who's serving life sentence, who's serving a life sentence, trying to help him escape uh, by ambushing them when they're out for a doctor's appointment out in the world. Taking him out, and so what ended up happening is, is they they crashed the van, and um, they tried to hijack the van, and demanded that Griffiths give them the keys to unlock their buddy, and Griffiths was like, "Oh hell no!" and threw the keys off into the bushes, some off into some bushes somewhere, and you know now, of course, by now everybody and their brother's been alerted, so. The, um, it results in a you know a movie style of you know like a trope, a movie trope. There's a high speed chase to the airport, an insane high speed chase through Miami, through Palm Beach, and uh, not not Miami through Palm Beach, and they end up at Palm Beach International Airport where they crash and are taken into custody. Anyway, so. Uh, in July of 1999, Frank Valdez was beaten to death in his cell by correctional officers, allegedly. Uh, apparently, DeFreest offered information because he was right down the right down the block. He kind of knew what had, he was kind of an ear witness, I guess. And I don't know. Again, I couldn't find anywhere where he testified to anything or anything like that. But for his safety. They felt it was necessary to take him out of Florida entirely, and they sent him all the way to Kern Valley State Prison in California. And that's just outside of Bakersfield. 
So they reduce his sentence, and after all the extra time is all figured out and everything, they parole this guy on February 5th, 2019. So this is right before, well, I'm sorry, I guess it was about a year before COVID. And the problem is that this guy was, um, parole was short-lived for this dude. Part of his parole said that he needed to spend 12 months in a mental health and substance abuse facility. Okay, that makes sense, right? Because you're trying to transition someone back into a very different world than they left. And so they find a facility. Again, he's still being housed in California at this time. And so they find a facility just, well, they find a facility, and he get during his time in prison, he got married. That happens a lot, by the way. Guys on these ridiculous stretches of prison time, somehow they get married. I've attended, I can't even tell you how many prison weddings I attended. Ugh. They're not what you think. They're just not. Anyway, uh, so they he was married and to this woman outside of Corvallis, Oregon. So they find a treatment, a drug treatment facility, a mental health facility that agrees to take him. So he's paroled on February 5th, 2019, and he checks in to this facility on February 7th. All is great. Life's going well. Things are going well. He got an opportunity to visit with his wife for a day, all these things going great until February 13th, just basically a week later, uh, when he started to experience mania, quote, and he tested positive for methamphetamine. So they kicked him out. And when they kicked him out, that means that, uh, hey, guess what? That revokes your parole, dude. So they hooked him up in uh, in San Joaquin, yeah, in, in San Joaquin County, California. There was a lot of back and forth for, several, for quite some time about, hey, can we try again somewhere? Can we do these things? You know, California has a great place to put him now, all these different things. Ultimately, they said, no, nah, we're done. We're not playing anymore. Thanks for playing. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And they went and had him shipped right back here to Florida, where he is currently housed at Union Correctional Facility in Union County, Florida. That was, and that, that, it's, it's funny. Um, Union Correctional is right across the street, or not even across the street. It's the neighbor to Florida State Prison. Uh, it actually used to be part of Florida State Prison, but they... There's a whole history there, but that's neither here nor there. So he is housed currently as of July 18th. That's a, this is that public inmate profile thing I told you about. Um, 
that you can Google and find it. Uh, so as of July 18th, he was housed um, at Union Correctional with a release date of March of 2036. That's a pending release date, so that includes that includes in there any gain time he might have, yada yada, et cetera, et cetera. So there you have it, as it stands, with uh, Mark DeFriest. He was known as, of course, he earned the nickname. I I don't think I mentioned this. I'm terrible. I really need to work on my podcasting skills, folks. Uh, he was nicknamed. This is the title of the episode, of course. The Houdini of Florida, because the guy, again, he just was magic like that, I guess. But um, let me know what you think. You can follow me on social media. You know where. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, I, I also want to give a shout out to the Truth About Aviation podcast. Um, that guy, he's a... He's an airframe and power plant technician. Uh, for those who are who have nothing to do with aviation, an airframe and power plant technician is the guy who fixes the airplanes and makes sure that that they're in flying condition before you take off. Because you don't want to be in the air and find out that that's not flying, or it's not supposed to be able to, whatever. You don't want to be in the air and find that out. You want him to check it out first, and make sure that it's okay, you know, make sure that it's airworthy, make sure that it doesn't have any extra holes in it, yada yada. Uh, but he he lets you in on the, you know, sort of behind the curtain, you know, sort of behind the curtain look at what goes on with aviation maintenance and mechanics, and um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so check that one out, and... In the meantime, stay caffeinated, stay healthy, stay away from the Delta variant, and don't get zipped in. We'll see you next week. Oh, not next week, sorry. We'll see you in two weeks. I forgot. I'm only going every other week right now. My bad. Anyway, make sure to rate and review. That helps us get up on the charts. Please. Go to Apple Podcasts. I don't care if you don't have an iPhone. Borrow your friend's iPhone. Get on there and rate and review the podcast. Or if you have another app that will allow you to rate or review it, please do it. Uh, you can actually, the way that you sort of rate on Podbean, you can either like it or not like it, but like it, you know, hit the like button. Uh, but... Let us know how we're doing. Put comments places. Go to the, there's a, a Facebook group. All those things. Let us know what you think. Or I say us. I'm a one-man train wreck, guys. It's, it's just me. Produced, directed, hosted, whatever. All the titles. It's a pretty short list because it's me. Although I have to give my amazing bride credit putting up with my bullshit <laughs> and allowing me and and keeping my children at bay while I do this 
keeping our children, I should say, at bay while I do this, keeping them from bombarding me with with editing issues and things from them busting in and whatever. She's amazing. I wouldn't be able to do it without her. So until next time, don't get zipped in and stay caffeinated.